too often poverty has monopolized the conversation and resources. Yeah. To be honest, um, and it, and it, it almost reminds me of in school. You know, the problem child uh, tends to get a lot of the attention. He's been the teacher spent so much time disciplining. Yeah. You know, on, on the discipline side of this this child who's having some issues, the the the, the child who's brilliant is left to perform pretty much and teach themselves yeah. because they're brilliant. Um, two, because, you know, they're not causing a problem. They're not demanding a lot of that attention. For sure. But if that resource of a teacher in this example was more focused on maximizing the intellect of that child versus minimizing the disruption mm -hmm. of another child, you will have... Um, uh, a higher uh, aggregate IQ, <laughs> you know, in your classroom. Absolutely. And I looked at that um, similar when we talk about wealth creation versus poverty. <laughs> there are more than enough organizations focused on poverty, and poverty is critically important. Yeah. But not everyone needs to focus on it. I agree. Somebody needs to focus on creating wealth. <laughs> and oftentimes, if you create wealth, you're able to address poverty within your family, within your household, within yep. your community. Absolutely. And so um, I just have always had a wealth-centric uh, approach as opposed to a poverty-centric approach. All right, what's going on, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Tap Network. Listen, I am extremely excited for this interview. Man, Ernest, what, we met, what, it couldn't be no more, maybe a little over a year? It's been a while, you know, but with the pandemic, everything is kind of, you lose time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time is definitely different sure. now. Yeah. We met, man, I know um, one of our mutual friends of ours was looking. That's right, Jarvis. Uh-huh. Yep. He yep. was looking to expand his business or whatever. He's bringing on another service, and uh, he asked for you know us to come to the table to be able to give him some advice on how he can move forward. And I was game. And I'll be honest, man, I got to the table, and just to kind of hear some of the stuff that you were saying, man, how much you knew about business, the execution, the the whole formula, I was like, man, I don't know why he invited me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that was my first introduction to yeah. you, and I was just sitting back, man, really in – and I was just kind of like, man, he knows exactly what he's talking about. As an entrepreneur myself, you know, we we try to study, we we read, we learn, and stuff like that. Uh, but the mentorship piece, man, just being able to tap into somebody like you with a wealth of knowledge, you know, what I'm saying, has been has been crazy. Just to kind of sit back and hear some of the stuff you talk about. Uh, I did some research too, man, uh -uh. And, and seeing some of your like interviews and things like that, man, and just kind of hearing some of the plans that you have with the BBA. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's amazing. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about it. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. So do me a favor, Ernest. Uh, introduce yourself. Uh, if you could just kind of give everybody, you know, uh, let's start it like this. Give us a snapshot of some of the uh, successes that you've had professionally and personally. Okay, okay. So Ernest Strickland, um, I guess the greatest role I've had uh, is really being a father. I have uh, four um, children and, you know, they keep me pretty busy. Uh, professionally, I'm the president and CEO of the Black Business Association of Memphis, uh, which is a 48-year-old organization dedicated and focused on empowering black businesses. Um, my background has really been um, varied uh, from 
economic development and international business development when I worked um, with the Greater Memphis Chamber for 15 years. Uh, workforce development, I um, architect and headed up their workforce strategy, which is uh, Upskill 901. Um, before that, I've been a business owner for many, many years. I've owned um, consulting firms, um, a restaurant. The thing about a restaurant, I learned. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I learned. I, I owned a restaurant um, called the Fish House. Okay. And it was on the corner of Bellevue and Parkway, across from okay. Runnies Car Wash. Oh yeah. From Memphis, uh -huh. oh, down street from Hampton <laughs> High School. That was a hard job. I didn't know anything about portion control. You know, a guy come in, he looked like a pretty big guy. We give him, you know, pretty big size of fish. <laughs> guy come in small, we give him a little smaller fish. Like we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah. And I told my partners, um, I came into the venture as a um, investor. Okay. And I told them about six months in, I said, look, we're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And they said, why would you say that? I said, because I know more about business than both of y'all, and I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I know we're going to fail. <laughs> uh, but that's not a good company. <laughs> not a good, it was a recipe <laughs> for disaster. But, um, you know, like I said, I've owned uh, a real estate firm, oh, like, which was called Investors First Realty, where we had a portfolio of mostly single family uh, properties. Uh, the largest unit was like an eight-plex over in uh, the North Memphis, being Hampton area. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and I've just been around, you know, hustling and figuring out. Uh, I think you had a, a post about if you want more, find larger problems to to solve. Absolutely. Right. And that's what I've been doing. I've just been, you know, looking at, I've gotten really good at identifying problems and um coming up with creative solutions that can be um, commercialized gotcha. for profit. Okay. So that's, in essence, what every business venture should be focused on, for sure. solving problems. Yeah, man, I think that's key. Uh, and as I talk to entrepreneurs, that's the one thing that we always talk about is, you know, in the marketplace, there's several opportunities, there's several niches, but even within some of those bigger niches, there's opportunity for small individuals to come in and make money. But the name of the game is, can you identify a pain point within that niche and service that pain point and you can generate customers out of it? Uh, and, and one of the things that you said, man, that I thought was pretty cool was just your ability to identify those problems. As entrepreneurs, I know you, you said you did consulting, you talk to entrepreneurs a lot. Is that a skill that can be developed, being able to identify problems, or is that just something that people just naturally have? Uh, probably a little bit of both. I know uh, I developed um, a knack for really working with the chamber. One of my roles there was um, business development consultant. And so we were tasked with um, knocking on 150 businesses' doors each year. And so I would knock on their doors, and I... You, you learn real quick that if you don't prevent, provide some value, you're not going to be able to get back in that door. Sure. Um, and so I would ask a question, you know, what keeps you up at night? Yeah. And if they, you know, sometimes people say, well, nothing, you know, everything is great. <laughs> Those were opportunities for expansion because whatever they're doing, they're doing it very well. Yeah. And now how can we um, bring more resources to the table so that they can, you know, double or triple the amount of and the volume of business that they're doing. Since they're sure. doing well, uh, they're presenting an opportunity for expansion. But for the most part, people would say, well, um, I don't know. Um, 
you know, if I if I only had more capital, that was a big one. Yeah. Uh, if I could find, you know, more qualified and, um, you know, dedicated people, that was a pain point. And so I would just listen to those business owners and, you know, kind of dissect what they were saying. For sure. To identify solutions to whatever problem that keeping them up at night. Yeah. So I had a chance and the benefit of, you know, meeting with 150 companies a year. <laughs> and in doing so, you learn a lot of problems. You know, there's a lot of repeat uh, issues that you hear. For sure. And when you are able to identify some unique uh, solutions, you just kind of go back to the well yeah, yeah, yeah. and recycle those solutions that work well for the company that you met with prior. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, but I think you can develop it. You just got to start looking and, and listening, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, with the intentionality of uh, not just responding to what they're saying, but sure. deeply understanding the core of what's driving and and the, the origin that, of that problem. Okay, I see. And um, 150 doors, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure you've heard uh, all the problems when it comes to, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, what business on right. what are some What are the common, I know you said capital, I know capital is probably at the top of the list, but what are like some of the most common problems that you saw when she was doing it and that you currently see as president and CEO of the BBA? I know you still probably run into entrepreneurs that have a whole host of problems. What right, right. Like those problems well, like right capital, uh, marketing, how marketing. to uh, get their brand out, how to get the word out in a um, efficient manner uh, so that they, you know, have the budget to not everyone can go to TV or, you know, billboard, but how do you get the word out um, to bring, you know, customers through the doors? So marketing was a big one. Okay. Um, marketing is huge, man, because that one changes all the time, you know, especially with like social media, uh, things like that. As I'm launching this new project, I didn't realize how out of touch I was with some of this new technology and trying to immerse myself in this and learn it and apply some of those old marketing skills that don't exist right. anymore. So right. I can I can see why marketing is it's, it's almost like flyers are now innovative because everybody is <laughs> everybody is online. So to differentiate yourself, you have to go offline. You got to go where your cus where your competition is not and so it's crazy but uh you know i, I manage my son in, in music and i always tell him look we do a lot online and a lot digitally but you got to touch the people and so you know kind of go back to some of those i call it caveman comers you know do the thing okay <laughs> do the things that we used to do back in the day uh-huh. uh flyers um you know just a pop-up for instance um he was complaining about not getting booked Okay. I said, well, let's just find, you know, venues in town that um, would would love to have some entertainment For sure. and approach those folks. Uh, we went to um, Olive Garden one day, Okay, you know, and, and Olive Garden had a long line. And so he started um, talking to the manager about just singing, you know, in the lobby okay. while people were waiting. For sure. You know, just providing some entertainment. And um, so you just got to be creative and, and fearless. Uh, in pursuit yeah. of your goal. That's the biggest thing, man, that fear. And I tell people all the time, I'm not a salesman. You know, I didn't build my career as a salesman. Now, there was times where I was trying to uh, expand and I needed to bring on more capital. And I've done the door knock and I've walked in and out of places, introduced myself. But like you said, that caveman... Caveman commerce. <laughs> caveman commerce. Going back to the ground, you know, boots on the ground, networking. 
Now, that's what I build my company off of, just developing relationships, servicing clients, you know what I'm saying, and continue to recycle that process. But it is yeah. a lost art. Yeah, and, and there's no substitute for that social capital, you know, um, not just people who you know, but strategically um, looking at not just the person that you're focused on, but the people that are around those individuals. You know, you may have a greater opportunity to get access to somebody who is, you know, close to you mm-hmm. more so than getting access to you, right? Yeah, for sure. And um, then you get that warm introduction into, you know, the the ecosystem of that individual that you're trying to uh, do business with. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can't understate social capital because sometimes it's somebody knowing there's a need mm-hmm. and putting you in position. For sure. You yeah. know, uh, you can you can figure it out, but it's much easier if somebody, for instance, if I know I have a need, I know I have the budget. Um, if you come in my office and you know we're, we're talking about marketing, yeah. So if I know we're trying to get BBA's name um, yeah. out into the the, the Memphis uh, business community, uh, I know this. I know what we need. I know what we want. I know what it needs to look like. I know what the budget is for sure. And you may come to me uh, saying, hey, you know, I'm a young guy, young woman that's trying to get my feet wet in business. And I want to um, I want to start a um, podcast company. I'm, not, I'm good with video editing. You know, I got a YouTube channel. I may not want the podcasting, but I may look at the video skill set that you have Absolutely. and the ability uh, for you to you know, push our brand out on your social channels. And so. I'll say to you, hey, not interested in podcasting right now, but what would it take for you to, you know, upload 30 posts about the BBA, you know, in a one month time frame? And how much would you charge me for that? Mm-hmm. And so you didn't know that I had that need, but because we have a relationship mm-hmm. and because I know the skills that you have, I just plug you into that opportunity. For sure. And you know, we, we have to be more intentional about plugging people in, yep. you know, and putting them in position to win. But uh, to go back to what you said, I, that's one of the things I love doing. I love connecting people uh, where there's opportunity, but we can't connect you if you don't necessarily know what this skill is. And the equity tap, we talk to uh, startup entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that's been in business for a few years. And that's one of the things that I've seen as a lost skill. Uh, so just kind of speaking to startup entrepreneurs when it comes to uh, putting a name out there, getting to know people, what would you recommend them do? We, first off, you know, I had a guy come to me and said, you know, he, he said that he wanted to start a vending machine business. Okay. Well, I said, all right, what product are you going to carry in your vending machine? Mm-hmm. Um, where are you going to place your vending machine? Where are you going to get the product from? Uh, too often we start businesses based on just, you know, emotions, you know, mm-hmm. we feel that, uh, we, we can cook a great cake yeah. and we want to start a bakery, but going back to solving problems, is that a problem that needs to be solved in this market? For sure. Um, taking, uh, I tell entrepreneurs first, take an assessment of what you can do easily, mm-hmm. like today. What, what can you do today that someone would see value in and would pay you for? Yeah. Um, not that you have to go back to school for, not that you have to go and get a certificate. What can you do right now? Like take a, 
an assessment of your current skills. Okay. And let's see if we can build a business around those current skills. For sure. So that you can get, you know, your feet wet. Uh, the barrier to entry is very low. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have the capital cost at play. And so just really understanding your skill set and then building businesses around your 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 skills. For sure. Why do you think people overlook the simple skills? Because that's the first time I've heard it put that way. And that's one of the things, man, that this shit genius. You make these, you take these complex, you know what I'm saying, situations and you break them down to make them very easy to understand. Because once you said that, it, a light bulb just went off in my head. It was like, you know, we see people in business and what we do is we try to jump off the bridge and scale and do exactly right. what they're doing on that level, but we don't know the financial backing. We don't know all of these things. And sometimes it's just finding what your niche is, right. niching down and allowing that niche to make way for you. Yeah. Why do you think people overlook that simple that simple skill or that simple thing? Because it's so, um, you know, it's like sometimes we undervalue things that we already have. Okay. You know, when you when you have a car, you may want, you know, a nicer car, but you undervalue people don't have a car. For sure. And so, you know, that 2000 model car is not as sexy to you as it once was. So it's perspective. It's yeah. perspective. You know what I mean? Sometimes we can be a victim of our um, aspirations. And so um, I think it's just, you know, the desire to want more, mm -hmm. you know, being ambitious. Sure. And sometimes you shortcut and... Uh, underappreciate the skills that you already have. Okay. And sometimes it's procrastination too because, you know, I can go, I need to go and learn this before I get started. I need to go and, um, you know, have a CEO to uh, invite me to a, a mastermind before I get started. Sure. All those can be excuses yeah. uh, that protects our mental when we're not achieving and accomplishing what Absolutely. we want to accomplish. Yeah, and you know what that new distraction that I've noticed people have uh, been falling victim to is, is information because right. it's so readily available, and I'm a victim of it, and I'll be transparent. Man, right. I can watch YouTube for hours, and they'll suggest the next video, right. and everything I'm hearing is good, but yeah. what am I doing? I'm still sitting right. on the couch. I, you know what I'm saying? I'm not taking action. Right. So procrastination is huge, like mm -hmm. you said. Just overlooking uh, our value, which is perspective. Right. And then, like I said, this new one is uh, just consuming too much information and not taking yeah. action. Yeah, man, you, you end up with uh, analysis paralysis. For sure. Um, and I heard something from a guy um, on YouTube. Mm -hmm. he, he broke down procrastination in a way I never heard it before. Um, he really was saying that we procrastinate because one or two, for one or two reasons. One, if if we have faith in the thing that we want mm -hmm. not happening, if we strongly believe it is not gonna happen, we get anxiety and we procrastinate because we feel that it's not gonna happen. And so that anxiety and the belief in something not manifesting mm -hmm. would cause us to procrastinate. Yeah. To avoid I can see the that. thing that we, you know, in our mind think won't happen. Mm -hmm. Um but then the, on the other side of that coin, um, when you have faith in the thing that you want happening, you have anticipation. Sure. You know, you can't wait for it to Absolutely. happen. You know what I mean? And so uh, I thought it was unique how he put, you know, coin of anxiety and anticipation. Yeah. Uh, but procrastination can be, you know, embedded in you being anxious and not having a strong belief in you being able to, you know, implement 
and execute. Absolutely, man. And it's interesting you say that because when I think back, you know what I'm saying, just on entrepreneurship in general, it is, for me, I had, I, I call it brain hack, mm-hmm. uh, where you have to trick your mind because uh, having that faith sometimes isn't that easy, you know, right. especially if it's an avenue that you haven't been in before. So you got all of these outside influences, including the biggest one, your own mind, right. telling you, you know what I'm saying, this is something yeah. you can't do. So there's yeah, doubt, man. So for me, one of the things I have to do whenever doubt is introduced, I instantly shut it down with like an affirmation or I tell myself, I just refuse to let it, you know what I'm saying, germinate. Right. Um, I don't let it spread. I right. instantly start telling myself a couple of different things. And honestly, when you first start doing it, you don't even believe what you're telling yourself. Right. But the biggest thing is you don't let that negative seed germinate in your mm-hmm. mind. You know, and I also saw something on YouTube where they were saying, entrepreneur success isn't always about what you're willing to do, but what you're not willing to do. Mm-hmm. And not being willing to let negativity in, guard your mind and things like that, man. That's the that's one of the biggest yeah, things. It for sure, for sure, because it, it there's a hundred reasons why um something won't work, right? Yeah. You just need to work one time. Does it just work? You just need to work one time. And I do something similar, like you say, you use affirmations to stop the downward spiral yeah. of doubt germinating and taking over. Um if I go through that and I recognize it, I'll say, Okay, well what if it works? And yeah. then I'll do a upward spiral of all wow. things okay. that will benefit my life and my family's life if it does work yeah. to balance it out. Since I use five minutes thinking of worst case scenarios, I'm gonna do five, ten minutes of best case scenarios yeah. as well. Oh man, that's dope. I'm gonna have to start using yeah. it. Because not only do uh so mine stops at just telling myself positive, you know what I'm saying, things, but I never go to that upward spiral and be like, okay, what would life actually look like if this right. works? So right. So look, man, let's transition a little bit. I saw on one of the posts that you had made, uh, or it was an interview that you did, and they asked you, um, what was your superpower? And I think you said something along the lines of being able to uh, translate culture and information. Can you expound on that uh, uh, a little bit? Yeah, I, I was thinking, uh, I forget who asked me that, but um, I'm Gen X. You know, I'll, I'll be 50 next month in January. Man, you don't um, look a day over 35. Hey, man, I don't feel I don't feel a day over 35 yeah. either. So, you know, thank God for that. But uh, being coming up on 50 um, and having younger children, like they keep me young. I, um, you know, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I, any technology that comes out, I'm going to get on it because I don't want the tech gap to get too far. And it grows. You fast. know what I mean? And so I'm going to get on any platform. Not that I'm going to live on there, but I just want to make sure that I'm not, I'm minimizing a gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I have a lot of friends who are in their 60s, 70s. Okay. And, you know, I hear mirror conversations. You know, older guys are complaining about young guys. Young guys are complaining about older guys. And here I am in the middle. Yeah. And so I'm able to say to the young, to the younger guy, well, maybe this older guy, you know, faced um, barriers in his life for sure that you know really caused him not to be where he would like to be at his age. Absolutely. Um, and especially you know being a black person, you know, being faced with uh, racial, you know, Jim Crow segregation, like a lot of these older guys who are baby boomers. They and, and women, they had a hard time. You know, they were not able to achieve their full potential because of the macro environment of racial discrimination. 
So when they finally got in these roles, they felt that they, you know, deserve um, a nice run in those roles, mm -hmm. right? Well, younger guys, you know, was uh, away. millennials are like, look, man, they need to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. You know, it's our turn, right? And so um, here I am in the middle, Gen X, like, okay, there's a value in uh, what you're saying, but at some point you're going to be older as well. So how do we, in our community, start looking at succession planning okay. where the generations can work together because if I do something and start it and go through all the barriers and the hurdles and the heartaches and the pain, the next person shouldn't have to go through all of those. Absolutely. There should be a playbook that you can just pick up the baton and move forward um, more uh, in, in a more expedient manner. Yeah, for sure. And so succession planning is something that we need to do. And as a Gen Xer, I think we are translators of the boomers and the millennials so that we can develop these plans and our community can move at a much faster pace. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting perspective to, to once you say it, I can visualize you being in the middle, you know, the older generation, the younger generation. What is uh, some of those things that both sides are fearing? I know the younger generation is wanting that opportunity, you know, and they're fearing that the older they get, you know, they won't maybe tap into that because other people are in it. But right. why do you feel like the, the older generation is holding on to it so long? Is it because of you know, what lack of wages? Is it the job didn't pay enough so they weren't able to properly set up retirement? Like, what is it? Do you think? It, it, it's that, but sometimes it's their identity is tied to these roles and positions. They've been in these roles, and now they feel that, you know, their the title is synonymous with their name, and they don't want to lose that um, social status that these jobs, these positions provide. And so, um, you know, I was talking to an older guy. He's about... 75 years old mm -hmm. and he said to me look when my friends retire they end up dying sooner than later yeah and so mm -hmm. uh i've always heard that when the mind and the body agree that the work is done it shuts down okay and so older guys i think and older women need to not retire but retire from certain roles okay and and move into different spaces in their lives and you know in their in the times that they're in okay. because they have a wealth of institutional knowledge that's built up that can be shared mm -hmm. to help younger people avoid heartaches and just balancing out um with the perspective that they have yeah. you know they can serve as uh an advisor okay. um just actually like yeah. what do those roles look like the, the advisory role uh i think is a role that older people can can enter into easily going back to the skills that they have uh -huh. they can listen to um a suggestion um or a strategy and within five minutes give you a blueprint yeah. you know that can help that strategy you know with the having the propensity of being successful it's like a guy told me um he said look when i charge you $500 an hour. I'm not charging you $500 for one hour. I'm charging you $500 for 30 years condensed in a show. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they have the institutional knowledge. Okay. Um, and so, and then younger guys and younger women, they have the energy. Mm -hmm. They have the ideas. Absolutely. They have um, a lot of uh, the, the imagination, mm -hmm. you know, and all of these variables that are... Um, definitely needed to, you know, bring about innovation and to bring about execution. 
for sure. And so um, it's just a opportunity, you know, the more I'm talking about it, yeah. um, there is an opportunity to connect that youth with that wisdom mm -hmm. um, for the benefit of our community. I agree, man. And I think um, your, your role in, in that is very instrumental. And I know that's what you're doing now with the BBA. And I want to transition and talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that because one of the things that has been a common theme in some of the research that I've done uh, with you is wealth creation versus, you know, eradicating poverty. And I love the perspective this is. You got to know, you got to word stuff the right way. Uh, and I know you was talking about that in a, in a re previous interview. You try to uh, elaborate a little bit on that wealth versus, you know, eradicating poverty, but building wealth instead. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always say um, Mother Teresa was famous uh, when she stated she will not go to a anti-war rally, but she'll go to a peace rally. Same rally, mm -hmm. but worded differently. You know, oftentimes you get what you focus on. You know, Solomon was the wisest and richest man to ever live. Mm -hmm. And he said, as a man think it, so shall he be. Mm -hmm. And so where do your thoughts come from? They come from what you hear, what you see, what you say. And so you got to be careful about how you manufacture your thinking. Okay. Because as you think, so shoot, so you shall be. And so um, in, in our community, in many uh, communities, too often poverty has monopolized the conversation and resources, yeah. to be honest. Um, and it, and it, it almost reminds me of in school, you know, the problem child uh, tends to get a lot of the attention. Mm -hmm. you spend, the teacher spends so much time disciplining yeah. and on, on the discipline side of this, this child who's having some issues, the, 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 the child who's brilliant is left to perform pretty much and teach themselves yeah. because they're brilliant. Um, two, because you know they're not causing a problem, they're not demanding a lot of that attention. For sure. But if that resource of a teacher in this example was more focused on maximizing the intellect of that child versus minimizing the disruption mm -hmm. of another child, you'll have. Um, a uh, higher uh, aggregate IQ, <laughs> you know, in your classroom. Absolutely. And I looked at that um, similar when we talk about wealth creation versus poverty. <laughs> there are more than enough organizations focused on poverty, and poverty is critically important. Yeah. But not everyone needs to focus on it. I agree. Somebody needs to focus on creating wealth. <laughs> and oftentimes, if you create wealth, you're able to address poverty within your family, within your household, within yep. your community. Absolutely. And so um, I just have always had a wealth-centric uh, approach as gotcha. opposed to a poverty-centric approach. I got gotcha. you. One of the things that also that I, I saw uh, on one of your posts or interview that you were doing was, and I thought was, was, was key, and it really goes in line with what you're saying now is your role is you find that student that, you know, is performing well, doing great, and then you try to help that student go to the next level. Uh, and most people can hear that and say, well, shouldn't you focus on all of the kids? But 
knowing your niche, knowing your lane, knowing how you can impact something, you know what I'm saying, I think is way more important than trying to be always inclusive right. because you can spend a lot of time in areas that a lot of people are already working, like you said, in the poverty side of it, but who's focusing on the wealth creation? And honestly, that solves, the, like you said, the problem. It, it solves a lot of problems. You know, wealth and money is a tool. And so you have tools that you're able to deploy to deal with a lot of the woes that you're wanting to address in the first place. For sure. Uh, but, you know, wealth, it, it's not only financial, but it's, you know, health. <laughs> um, if, if, if you don't take care of the health, you know, I don't care how much don't money, matter, yeah. <laughs> money don't matter, man. Um, you know, Steve Jobs, billionaire, yeah. He, but he couldn't, uh, as they say, if, if money can um, take care of it, it's really not a problem. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a tool that can be used um, to, to treat, you know, some of our own issues that we're experiencing. And we don't have to go to other communities asking for um, other communities to solve our problem. Yeah. You know, and so, but we got to be in position where we can, you know, affect those problems by having the resources to do so. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to kind of transition because the equity tab, we're talking to, like I said, entrepreneurs and things like that. And the work that you're doing with the BBA directly lines up with a lot of the issues that black entrepreneurs face, mm -hmm. uh, lack of capital, whatever the case may be. Uh, can you explain kind of your role with the BBA and some of the things that you guys are currently focusing on? Yeah, so it's been 20 months now. Uh, February actually will be my uh, second year uh, oh. anniversary at the BBA. Um, I came to the organization because I, I, I believe strongly that if we get black business and create wealth in the black community, Memphis will be that model city that we all want to see. Um, and so I feel that the BBA, uh, the Black Business Association, is an organization that can be a catalyst um, to placing Memphis on that robust economy track. Okay. Um, I'm so excited about what we're doing in 2023. You know, for the last 20 months or so, we've been work working on you know, just the infrastructure of the organization. Okay. Uh, for a long time, it's been a one-man, one-woman shop. Gotcha. Um, and you really can't, you know, get the traction that you're wanting to to have with uh, limited capacity. Mm -hmm. um, and so before taking the job, like I said, I was at the chamber for 15 years. Okay. Uh, so I got a chance to see the, the ecosystem uh, from a unique perspective. Okay. And um, before coming to the BBA... I decided to just do a quick assessment of what and where the gaps are in Memphis okay. and gaps that the BBA could help to to address. In doing so, uh, that led me to this um, strategy or initiative that we call Memphis Restart. Okay. Yeah. And, and Memphis Restart is uh, really a triple entendre. Okay. Um, it's restart from the standpoint of when Martin Luther King, you know, going back to to those days when he was assassinated here in Memphis, there was an expectation and a desire for there to be a rebirth. Okay. So restart from that standpoint. Gotcha. Um, restart from the standpoint of there are a lot of people focused on startups. Mm -hmm. You know, um, startups are, are sexy. They're cool. They're, they're can be fun, but they're yeah. tough. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we're more focused on companies that have been in business but need to be properly restart, okay. restarted. Um, and then restart from the standpoint of our organization. You know, we're a 48-year-old trade organization, but like I said, we've been under-resourced for a long time. Gotcha. And so kind of restarting the organization so that we can be more impactful in driving our mission of helping black businesses. Gotcha. But um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about uh, the fact that we were able to um, hire some some new people, um, we have a team of three, and right. we use consultants now. Uh, and I have a job offer that is on the table for uh, um, new hire, which will be um, uh, a part of, of my leadership team. Okay. And um, once we get that position in place, you know, we're gonna really be able to, yeah, man, back. we're gonna really be able to, you know, do a full court press on, you know, having some impact. Um, you know, we were able to raise some money. Uh, okay. Congressman Cohen came through for us yeah, with a grant. Um, uh, Mayor Strickland uh, and Memphis City Council, uh, uh, Chairman Jones, they've all been very supportive okay. of the organization. And um, they've helped us with um, some operating calls, uh, operating budget. Uh, they've helped us um, to build out the infrastructure so that we can move the Memphis Restart Initiative okay. uh, forward. And so 2023, we're going into full implementation of that of that strategy. So when you roll it out, is it something that you're going to focus on certain aspects of it, or are you going to yeah. roll out the whole project? So we, we're going we're gonna to roll it out in, in, in phases. Okay. Uh, and so phase one, uh, we're working with um, you know, a friend of, of, of both, a mutual friend of ours, okay. um, and Jamal Whitlow yeah. and his company, okay. uh, Privilege. Uh, we've hired uh, Jamal to be a vendor to um, roll out our digital ribbon cuttings. Okay. You know, one of the, we talk about marketing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, one of the um, services that chambers provide is a ribbon cut. Okay. <clears throat> it takes a lot of manpower to provide those services. And so we've come up with a concept of uh, digital ribbon cuttings. Okay. Ah, that's uh, so Mall is leading that project up for us as a DBA consultant, uh, thanks to a generous grant from FedEx. Okay. Uh, that uh, we were awarded to stand up the digital ribbon cutting program. So that's going to be the first phase. We're rolling out digital ribbon cuttings where we'll come to a company uh, that is uh, restarting, okay. uh, that is opening, that has a new, new location, and we will create a digital version of a ribbon cutting for that company oh, yeah, that's cool, that man. they can share on their socials that we'll promote uh, all to drive traffic to that business. Okay. Um, the second phase is our um, next level leadership training, where okay. we're working with a vendor, um, Felicia, um, the Felicia Group. Uh, okay. You know, it's the focus group by Felicia. Gotcha. Um, she's providing us with a curricula that we're using to help educate um, black business owners, okay. uh, entrepreneurs, managers, mid managers to take their businesses and or careers to the next level. Okay. You know, that's a wide, like, variety. It is. And it's entrepreneurship to management. What, it's what's the mindset wide, behind it? It's wide, but um, there's a lot of similarities that I think okay. we overlook. Um, as a business owner, you want people to have an entrepreneur spirit, mm -hmm. you know, where they are taking initiative, where they see the business as their own. For sure. Providing that type of care and concern, uh, where they are looking at, problems and figuring out creative solutions hmm. uh, without coming to the 
the manager or the owner for every type of direction, yeah. right? You know, as a business owner, the last thing you want <laughs> is someone comes. So we paid you for. <laughs> yeah. So what I do next? You know, what I do next? What do I do next? Um, and so you want someone to have that entrepreneurial spirit for sure. Um, and so even though you are an employee, mm-hmm. having that entrepreneurial spirit helps that company and it helps you if you should right. decide to venture out uh, to start your own, you know, your own uh, entity. Okay. Um, and then the, um, and on the flip side, the business owners, sometimes business don't work out and they end up going back into the workforce. Okay. You know, and so there's a flip flop that tends to happen. So no one have their skill. Yeah. Yeah. And so employees and entrepreneurs and business owners, um, sometimes it's the same person that experiences different phases in their lives, gotcha. you know? And so there's more similarities than, uh, I think we sometimes, um, 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 look at. Okay. No, that makes total sense. So is that just for members only? Like how are you guys going to roll that, that leadership package out? Can anybody enroll? Is it online? How does that work? Yeah. So, so, um, the focus group by Felicia, um, is designing the curricula. Okay. It's going to be a hybrid format where there'll be workshops, similar seminar style, okay. uh, learning. There'll be, um, online pre-recorded type of lessons. And then the individual will have, um, the benefit of receiving information and insight from speakers that we bring in. Okay. And so there will be a cool. format, um, where we will, um, you know, help an individual gain that business acumen, you know, from a, um, a hybrid, uh, model. Okay. I know another, uh, one of your pillars is acquisition. Mm-hmm. I see you talk a lot about that and you have a very interesting perspective. Probably the first person I've heard put it in, you know, that, that perspective of you have people that's transitioning out and they don't have succession plans right. and, you know, being able to connect you know, people that want to be entrepreneurs with those, like share your perspective on that or or just kind of share that whole project. Yeah. um, So uh, what you're referring to is uh, Succession Solutions. Uh, That is our acquisition acquisition entrepreneurship uh, model. And so with with Succession Solutions, what we realize is, uh, like I said earlier, startups are are tough. You know, they they can be difficult. Uh, The the failure rate is very high for a startup. Um, however, there's an opportunity for individuals with that entrepreneur spirit, business owners, to acquire companies uh, as opposed to starting them up all the time. Yeah. And when you juxtapose that with the fact that there are a lot of baby boomers that are looking to exit their companies but don't have succession plans in place, mm-hmm. matching those two together can create a real opportunity for our our community. And so with Succession Solutions, we're doing just that. We're mining the pool of existing companies that primarily are owned by aging uh, baby baby boomer type owners that are looking to exit. And we're building a pool of entrepreneurs and black business owners that want to acquire companies gotcha matching those two together you know in hopes of creating a acquisition transaction okay so what type of hurdles have you guys have you had any successful acquisitions yet? like what type no, of hurdles? not yet okay not yet we're still in the planning phase for it so that's going to be the uh phase four of okay. this restart yeah gotcha. so 
Uh, digital ribbon cuttings will roll out first. Uh, then we'll roll out the uh, Next Level Leadership mm -hmm. um, Program. And then we'll roll out um, what we call BBA Talent Connect, which is connecting black professionals with companies that are looking to hire from a more diverse talent pool. Okay. And then Succession Solutions is the fourth phase of the Memphis Restart rollout. Where do you get that uh, that talent pool from? So you guys are going to be tasked with- Yeah, we're going to curate, uh, wow. the, we're going to curate the talent ourselves. Okay. Um, we're working with a firm out of D.C. called Matchplicity. Okay. Um, they've been uh, successful in the D.C. area and in some other markets. Uh, but BBA Talent Connect is going to be powered by Matchplicity. Okay. So we're leaning on them to have a rollout strategy in our market where we will, you know, be a part of job fairs, where we'll uh, both curate employers, asking them to upload their positions okay. in this portal and uh, identifying that high-quality black professional talent that's looking for an opportunity we'll ask them to upload their profiles gotcha. so that the job seeker and employer can find each other inside of BBA Talent Connect. That's cool, man. This the myth is uh, a restart. Yeah, it's restart. That's a dope idea, man. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that I like to say is um, we're not just throwing everything out at once. Yeah. Uh, we, we've hired a uh, marketing firm okay. to help us uh, you know, really be intentional and strategic okay. to make sure that um, the market understands it, is not confusing, <laughs> um, and that, you know, we create some synergy between the different programs. Okay. And so uh, you're going to see, you know, it's, it's almost going to be an omnipresent. You're going to see BBA everywhere, cool. you know, with, with creating lookalike campaigns where we can identify, you know, potential uh, sellers of businesses. So as they, you know, older People may be on Facebook. While they're on Facebook, they'll see ads mm -hmm. about, you know, have you thought about selling your business? Yeah. Okay. And that would drive them to building up their database. Building up the landing, yep, a landing page where we can capture their information and, and then start to target them in hopes of having a, a serious conversation with them uh, and being an alternative to them closing the business, gotcha. which is bad for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you got the employees that's there that's affected by the, the tax base. The building may be vacant for yeah. you know who knows how long. And so uh, if we can keep the lights on uh, and, and just transfer the ownership, uh, specifically, uh, we're looking at black entrepreneurs and business owners because we're trying to build wealth in the black community. Gotcha, gotcha. So with that being said, I know one of the biggest hurdles, and we've talked about this in the black community, is the capital. So how are you bridging the gap to find entrepreneurs that want to acquire a company, a company that's ready to be acquired, but right there in the middle is the capital. So how right. are you guys addressing that? Right. That's, that's a big one. Uh, what we're excited about with Succession Solutions is it's an acquisition. And so there are SBA loans that you can obtain to acquire a company as opposed to trying to start a company because from the bank, it's a more, uh, it's less risky. They have historical uh, sales revenue to look at as opposed to projected revenue. Yeah. And so, um, and, and plus, you know, the owner, we're not looking at, you know, companies that were going out of business because of bad business practices or poor operation the age thing. yeah gotcha. yeah we're looking at you know successful businesses and but for the owner wanting to exit to do something else 
this business would go on for another, you know, 20 years or whatever. Gotcha. And um, even with our um, pool of entrepreneurs that we're looking at to take over these businesses, we want them to bring skills to the table mm -hmm. that can be married into these businesses to help the business identify new revenue. Gotcha. And so um, we're not looking for duds in businesses and we're not looking for duds in entrepreneurs. We're looking for, you know, high-performing businesses, high-performing entrepreneurs. Yep so that we can have um, companies that are the new FedExes of the Memphis sure. economy. Yeah, that's dope, man. I um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was in the vending machine business. Uh, he had got, I think, eight or nine machines, and he identified a problem in the market, and it was the servicing of the machines. <laughs> and when he peeled back the layers of the onions, it was an older couple running the company, and they were tasked with moving all the Coca-Cola, moving all the Pepsi, moving all of these folks' vending machine and servicing it. So he made them a offer. He was like, man, have y'all ever thought about selling? And they was like, how did you know? And he recently bought this company about three mm -hmm. months ago. And he's 36, 37 years old, young guy. And just like you said, he's bringing all of these mm -hmm. new innovative ideas to this company. And the cool thing was the owners wanted to stay on for another year or something like that. That's even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I can see... You know what I'm saying? That being a real viable plan yeah. for entrepreneurs because he said startups are glamorized. It's one of those things that's real cool. But I'm not this a customer, man. Got this you new know? business I'm starting, you know, and you see it all the time. But there's so many steps to that. And a, comp a company that already has customers, you know, we sold a company. Mm -hmm. I started a screen print company, grew it, scaled it, right. uh, and was able to sell it. And that new owner was able to walk into, you know, revenue already. Uh, uh, warehouse equipment and a staff that knew how to run all of that and with his capital and his ability he was able to take it to the next level so that's yeah we're gonna, we're gonna have you involved in uh, success <laughs> solutions because you know you've gone through that process now mm -hmm. you know what it looks like um, you know a lot you have a lot of uh, knowledge and so we definitely want to have you involved in that process for now, sure you anything I can from, do to from, out. from you know telling your story uh, to you know looking at a um an opportunity you know as a as a prospective buyer um as a mentor we definitely want to have absolutely absolutely man you know i'm uh i'm, I'm here whatever you guys need because i respect Appreciate the work that you you're doing i respect your background all the things that you've been accomplished thank you actually take me back a little bit i'm gonna ask you a Memphis question man what high school okay. did you go to <laughs> i was laughing with somebody uh, a friend of mine he moved here from new york and, okay uh, we were talking about schools and i said look we asked that question not because um, we're uneducated yeah, yeah. because Memphis is so small and access is, is is so available. You tell me your school, I'll be able to you know tell you two three people that you know. Yeah, and exactly. Now we build our rapport. That's what we ask. Yeah, but I went to Hamilton, man. Uh, you know, I went to Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hamilton High School. Um, Wildcats, right? Yeah, cool. Wildcats. You know, from the mound, man. So it was okay, always going. I didn't go, go to Merrill. I went to Merrill's for one year, but I went okay. to Overton. That's why I graduated. Okay, I got. But you know, both sides of my family, mom and dad, we both all from the mound. So yeah. Whenever we played Hamilton, you know, it was always it a was, rival. Yep. Yep. My so, family. Uh, my mom. Uh, my mom went to Southside. Okay. Uh, which is no longer. Uh, my dad went to. Um, BTW, but um, you know the schools had changed, man. By the time you know I made it to high school, and Hamilton was, um, it, it was it was still a good school. You yeah. know, even to this day, we have a strong alumni. Mm -hmm. um, Hamilton had one of the best bands, man. Yeah, football team, basketball team. Um, 
I, I wish I would have applied myself more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we always look back and say, right. what if? Right, yeah. So how did you get into this whole space of business development? Uh, I even saw, uh, you said, did you say your studies was international or something yeah. like that? And I even saw that you had uh, received an offer, man, uh, to work for the Canadian government. Yeah. yeah. But you chose to stick around yeah. in Memphis, man. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to kind of hear that whole journey and your perspective on why, you, why I stay in Memphis. So I, I I always consider myself as like a late bloomer. Uh, like I said, I wish I would have applied myself when I was in Hamilton um, a little bit more. But um, I got my degree from the University of Memphis as an adult. Uh, so as an adult learner, uh, I got my degree, and the degree was in uh, it was a bachelor's in professional studies. Okay. Um, I was able to use experiential learning and. Um, obtain college credits for the learning that I have because I was trying to expedite the time it would take me to get out of there. Gotcha. And so I, I had a real estate company okay. while I was going to school. So uh, with the real estate license and the deals that I um, had already done, I wrote a paper um, and they gave me, they converted the principles, the lessons, the knowledge into college credit. Oh, wow. And I was able to write the check uh, for t tuition Sure. But I got probably 20 hours mm -hmm. just off of that paper. Is that something they still do? I don't know. It was it was in the Fulman School of Business. Uh, they had a program um, and, a, and a, a degree program, which was the Bachelor's of Professional Studies. Okay. So I was able to do that. I wrote a business plan for my real estate company um, as my senior uh, project. Okay. Because uh, I was, you know, as an adult, I was eager. I was hungry. You know what I mean? Versus when I first graduated from Hamilton, I went to Jackson State okay. for one semester. <laughs> it was not good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> transferred to Lamont on for one semester. It was not good. <laughs> and so I started working um, from there, from that point forward. And then I went back to school and got my bachelor's as an adult. Gotcha. Um, I started a real estate company. Um, as I said, my senior paper was on, you know, how to start this real estate company. Um, things were going great mm -hmm. until 2006 when the market started to change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that the banks were no longer doing deals um, that they had previously done. Okay. So my business model was obsolete overnight. And, um, you know, I didn't make enough money to retire and I was not old enough to retire. Mm -hmm. And so I needed a job. Uh, at that point, I had had the restaurant, I had consulting businesses. So you had the real estate restaurant, all of this stuff going. Yeah, I had not at one time, but I had those experiences. Gotcha. Okay, I'm following. And so um, I said, "Look, there must be a variable that successful business people have, or knowledge that they have that I don't have, mm -hmm. because my runway was no longer than eight years." Uh -huh. And so. Um, the Chamber of Commerce, somebody told me about a, a sales job at the Chamber of Commerce. Okay. I said, okay, that'd be a perfect place for me to learn that unknown variable. Mm -hmm. And then I will um, get that information and start a new venture. Right. Okay. That was my plan. Yeah. 15 years later, I was, still, <laughs> I was still at the Chamber because there's a intrinsic motivation that comes with community building. And I had never been in a position where I was able to uh, like I said, knock on those companies' doors and help them solve problems. And solving those problems meant that they maintained the employees that they had. So people that I knew working at those companies 
benefited from the work that I was doing. Gotcha. I was able to recruit companies to Memphis that ultimately hired people and, you know, um, did business with people that I knew. Okay. And so that was a good feeling, yeah. you know, and you, you get addicted to that. And so I stayed longer than what I planned. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you mentioned international. While working at the chamber, I went back and because uh, my goal was to be um, CEO. I wanted to be a CEO, a president of a chamber uh, of the Memphis Chamber or um, an, another chamber or business organization. And I felt that I needed um, an MBA in order to be, you know, more competitive. And so I went back to school. I went to Bethel uh, University, okay. um, got my MBA. Um, one of the studies was international business. Okay. And as life would have it, the chamber had a position um, for international business uh, that was um, performed by a gentleman who was a colleague of mine. Okay. And we experienced a, a downturn where the chamber had to lay off some folks. Mm -hmm. uh, that position was cut. Okay. And so um, I was given, you know, thankfully my my job um, was maintained and I was given new roles. And one of it was to um, take care of the uh, expectations and the activities of international business that the chamber was conducting. So. It lined up with what I was learning what in school. What type of business is the chamber conducting? So with, with international, at the time, it was um, really two um, approaches. Mm -hmm. And this was during Obama administration. Okay. So uh, one of the primary goals of the Obama administration was to increase exports. Okay. Increase the amount of products and services that the U.S. sold to foreign countries or foreign buyers. Gotcha. So that was a huge initiative. We have FedEx here. They mm -hmm. they ship products that you know are exported, and mm -hmm. so that was something that they were really excited about. And so I created a uh, export program okay. um, at the Memphis Chamber, and then the other activity was foreign direct investment. Gotcha. And so the international um, um, strategy of the Memphis Chamber was both, you know, how do we increase exports. And how do we increase foreign direct investment? That's, dude, you've had your hand in a lot of stuff. How did the program that you created? How did it was, was it successful? It, it went good. It was um, it went it went great. Uh, we were able to recruit companies like Electrolux, like okay. IKEA. You know, I was in Sweden. Oh, yeah. Um, we were. That was huge uh, for the city, man. I was so happy when uh, IKEA was like, because I went to school in Chat. Yeah. And we used to drive to Atlanta to go to IKEA all the time. So when he was, when they said IKEA was coming to Memphis, I was like. We ain't got to drive to Atlanta. Yeah, no, we, we were we were early knocking on doors in foreign countries. Mm -hmm. um, you know, countries that had no idea who where Memphis was. Mm -hmm. For the most part, um, companies would know the coast. They would know the West Coast or the East Coast. Gotcha. So my job was to go in and say, well, you know, if you want to make, if, if, if you want to have fun, you want to go see the beaches or, or party, you may look at the coasts, but if you want to make money, yeah, uh, come to the interior of the U.S. And sure. Memphis um, is a place that has low-cost living. Yeah, uh, I was able to, you know, share with them. You know, we have a strong road, rail, river, and runway connectivity. Uh, we have universities. We have a lot of people. We have diversity. And so I was able to just really share what made Memphis competitive. Okay, um, to those countries companies in those countries that were already looking at a U.S. presence. Gotcha. Yeah. 
so once you think about like uh competitiveness uh here in the city so i'm gonna kind of mix a couple things that you said mm-hmm. because i'm curious uh speaking on behalf of the black community uh and entrepreneurs uh as we kind of position ourselves in this this new transitional time where is you looking at the gig economy you're looking at uh the creative economy is so much stuff going on uh and memphis being a more distribution warehouse type town is there opportunity for, you know, creatives for the black community to participate? Because I see a lot of like my colleagues and people I went to school with, that's the first thing they do when they get their degree, they leave the city, they don't come back. Is Memphis a, a real viable market to be a wealthiest or wealth in, you know, as an African-American? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if Memphis was public traded, I would buy all the stock that I could afford. Okay. Because I'm very bullish on Memphis um, for, for a couple different reasons. Like, even with logistics and distribution for the longest you know most people that work most people that live here we've worked at fedex before yeah, we my whole family working <laughs> we worked in logistics companies before but we all we, we always tend to look at it from an employee standpoint okay um you know when, when there's freight that comes in and out of our city and that freight sits in a warehouse for you know 15 days 30 days Somebody's making a lot of money. You know, I didn't realize that these companies would pay, for instance, pharmaceutical. A pharmaceutical company for for they would pay, you know, thirty dollars uh, a pallet okay. per month. And so a lot of these warehouses that we have here, they're storing, you know, five thousand pallets at a time. Somebody's making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And so um we just have to stop looking at it from going back to the poverty mindset, yeah. we got to start looking at these opportunities, not as, oh, Memphis is a, a distribution, a warehouse town, but who owns those warehouses? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we can lease those warehouses and we can attract those clients and we can charge to store that freight. Absolutely. Uh, as opposed to just being a manager or a forklift driver at mm-hmm. those warehouses. Gotcha. Um, and then you, you mentioned also about, you know, the, the the gig economy here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Memphis has a lot of infrastructure. Um, you know, there there are people that are called digital nomads, and they're going to places like Chiang Mai, Thailand, because mm-hmm. the cost of living is so low. They have Wi-Fi. They are able to build their you know tech businesses. I've never heard of that <laughs> at a low cost. Okay. Um, but they're digital nomads. Yeah, digital nomads. Okay. So they can build a business you know from anywhere, right? Uh, we can do that from from Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you have a low um, operating cost, you're able to um, be more innovative. Mm-hmm. You're able to um, take more risk, okay? Um, because you're not pressured by you know New York rents, yeah, <laughs> and New York salaries. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you mentioned the uh, person who bought the um, vending machine, vending machine yeah. business. They didn't just buy the business just to stock it with you know, uh, M&Ms, mm-hmm. they saw the service opportunity Absolutely. related to it. They saw the fact that it was um, scale opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have to start looking at our city differently. Yeah. Uh, too often we look at it from the standpoint of, man, I'm ready to leave here. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta, you know, I, I feel like I pay my dues here. Yeah. You know, there are a lot, people are making a lot of money in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And, We've been here. We deserve to be a part of the group that is making a lot of money in Memphis. Yeah. 
uh, we leave here and go to Atlanta or go to D.C., you don't know. First off, you got to get in line again. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're in the right line. Yeah. You don't know how long the line For is. For sure. Remake all those connections. Yeah. You got you to rebuild. And so um, we we just have to look at, you know, how do we maximize the opportunities that we have? Yeah. I saw a, a study. I don't know which magazine published it, but it said Memphis was one of the fastest growing cities with black entrepreneurs. Uh, and I feel like it was for a few years. Uh, Especially in tech. You know, okay. especially in tech. And tech is, you know, ambiguous, right? I don't see Memphis as tech. And what areas of tech is, is are we growing? That's interesting. So we we, we have, so with the, um, for instance, I work in a project with the University of Memphis. Okay. Um, with robotics. Uh, probably five, was it five? Or maybe longer. Years ago, I brought a speaker here from Brookings, a guy named Mark Moroy. Okay. Um, he uh, had an interesting concept about automation, digitization and the future of work. Okay. Um, most people will focus on the automation side of it. You know, is the robot going to take my job yeah. side of it? Um, but there are a lot of opportunities related to uh, robotics. For instance, I work with the University of Memphis to um, start up a project that um, builds robotics into the FedEx hub system. Okay. Uh, they use a robot uh, by a company called, um, I can't think of it, it's a Japanese-owned company, but um, with that robot that they're implementing in, you know, they're doing a billion-dollar moderation of the hub. <laughs> it's going to be highly technical, highly uh, automated, uh, but there are going to be a lot of opportunities for people to service those robots. Gotcha. For uh, people to be a, a, a vendor of those robots. Yeah. Um, and so there's still opportunities here tech-wise. Um, the tech space suffers with diversity. Okay. Memphis has a lot of black people here. Yeah. And so if I'm a tech company and I want to um, be more inclusive and I can look anywhere in the world mm -hmm. to source um, talent, I'm going to look at cities that have uh, a more diverse pool to select from yeah, yeah and so memphis you know scores well on that list oh, for sure that's interesting uh I, I have mixed feelings about uh tech and I, I definitely like the innovation and where it's going uh but i've always thought about the labor side of it and the displacement uh i read a book man it was uh andrew yang and yeah. he was a 2018 presidential candidate i want to say uh, tw yeah, I, uh, 2020, I don't know which one of them, but he was a presidential candidate. And one of the things that he was real big on was a universal dividend because tech was uh, displacing, at the time he said tech was displacing retail and malls. Uh, about 30% of them were going out of business on a yearly basis. And those people that worked in those spaces weren't able to re-assimilate uh, into other positions. And then he mentioned like Amazon, a company that's doing like trillions uh, in sales, millions on a, uh, on an annual basis, all these things, and they pay uh, a very small, if not nothing, in like federal taxes. Mm -hmm. And his whole idea with tech, and this is kind of getting off on a tangent, but mm -hmm. his whole idea of tech was these tech companies should be responsible for paying some type of universal dividend because of the displacement. But you're saying that there's a balance in it all. With the innovation of tech, there's also greater opportunity as well. Yeah, because even with the Amazon um, example, um, Amazon didn't make products. You yeah. know, they, they 
have created an infrastructure where you or I can create our own Amazon business where we sell products in a way that uh, would cost us millions, you know, in the past oh, to yeah. create that type of infrastructure. Um, even from just an affiliate, you know, standpoint, mm -hmm. you know, you have a, a, a podcast here, you have mics here. If you were an Amazon affiliate, you yeah. could, you know, talk about how much you love the mics that you're Samsung, using, yeah. the Samsung mics that you're using and have a link to the Samsung mic yeah. so that anyone purchases it, you get a commission. Yeah, for, yeah. so um, I think we have to be, um, the, the, the thing about being human mm -hmm. is creativity. Yeah. You know, an algorithm, if it's predictable and if it's repetitive, it's a candidate for automation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But creativity is something that isn't predictable. Yeah. You can't, you know, design an algorithm um, to create mm -hmm. and to think the way that we think. Yeah. We just have to challenge ourselves to, you know, be more creative, to be more optimistic, to suppress the doubts that come about yeah. and know that we're, you know, we're a superior species. Absolutely. You know, we, we, we don't need to be doing mundane tasks. We have bigger problems, bigger fish to fry, yeah. you know, than just putting a red lid on a blue cup you know yeah. over and over sure. and over uh making you know minimum wages doing that mm -hmm. and even with minimum wages i never understood why yeah. like a person said well i can't feed my family off mcdonald's yeah it wasn't designed for you to feed your family off mcdonald's the only way you feed your family off mcdonald's is if you sit down and eat meal yeah but <laughs> it's designed for you know younger people who don't have, like my, my children who don't have bills because yeah. they live in the house with me. Not a lot of responsibility. They don't have yeah. a lot of responsibility, but they can go and work at a company like McDonald's or, you know, a fast food, a mm -hmm. black-owned fast food company, yeah. um, and, and be able to take, um, you know, $12, $15 an hour as pocket money for them mm -hmm. is not for the person who... Is trying to you know manage a family yeah you know we need to look at how we can get that individual greater skills uh because that individual don't need to make a minimum wage they need to make a maximum wage for sure to maximize their potential so that they can take care of their family yeah absolutely man this has been good i know we can probably talk man for <laughs> hours about these uh these topics uh i know you said you just launched a podcast um and you're going to be yeah. talking about a lot of these similar concepts well, I, I am. Um, so I have, you know, I have four children. I have okay. twin daughters. They're 23. Cool. Uh, they have a uh, vegan um, catering business called Locked in Vegan. And so over the break, we've been working on their business, working on their website. Um, I have a 19-year-old son who is a R&B singer. Okay. Uh, I manage his YouTube uh, oh. and, and some of his socials. Uh, I manage him and, you know, helping him reach his full potential with music. Mm -hmm. What's his page? Uh, his page is Millie Manny um, underscore on Instagram and okay. Millie Manny on other social platforms. And the daughters, what were they page? Locked in Vegan, L-O-C-D-N-V-A, I'm sorry, V-E-G-A-N. Locked and Vegan because they have locks in their hair and they're vegan. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> creative. And so, and then my uh, my youngest daughter, she's 16, okay. was uh, a junior at Drumtown High School um, in the Kappa program studying film. 
And yeah. uh, she's also, you know, looking to be um, in, in healthcare field when she graduates. Okay. And so uh, we're home over the break. Um, and I said, okay, let me show you all by example, you know, because they always talk to me about business. I said, my goal is before I go back to work, I want to identify a new revenue stream. Okay. And, you know, I did some research and um, I assessed my own skills. Like I said, I manage my son's socials. You know, anyway, I manage yeah. um, his YouTube page. So I'm familiar with that platform. Gotcha. Uh, I said, well, I'll start a YouTube page mm -hmm. and I will uh, talk about business uh, topics, business strategy, wealth building, and um, the best role that I've had is being a dad. For sure. And so I'll blend all those together and make the page, um, you know, family wealth building, uh, essentially. Family wealth building. I like that. Family yeah. wealth building. And so um, my my children, their friends call me Paid Pops. Okay. <laughs> so, and so that's the uh, YouTube uh, channel, Paid Pops. Pops. Okay. The business dad. Gotcha. And so um, it's just something that I wanted to show them that before I go back to work, I'm going to have a new revenue stream. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I put it out there, of course, they'll call me, you know, to the carpet <laughs> if I don't do it. Yeah. And so um, I wanted to work on that so that they can see kind of my process of, um, you know, that assessment and identifying the niche and all of that. And um, so we're looking to um, have the first um, uh, video up um, this week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I don't know where this gonna go. You know. Uh. But it's 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 gonna be fun. I'm gonna figure out how to incorporate my son's music into yeah. it and and my daughter's uh vegan menu into it for sure. Create those synergies. Man, with your level of expertise and just your experience, it has no choice but to go with yeah. man. I'm excited. I'll be sure to put it. Uh, in the description. Okay. The links to yeah. your daughter, your son, and your podcast. So I appreciate that. Can follow you. So look, man, in closing, uh, two questions. Uh, what's next for you and any parting advice that you can give to entrepreneurs that is looking to get into business for themselves uh, with all of your combined experience? What would you say the one thing that they should focus on first? So what's next for you and then what is that thing that them, the entrepreneurs can focus on? So what, what's next for me is uh, rolling out Memphis Restart as president and CEO of the Black Business Association of Memphis. Uh, 2023 is going to be an amazing year. We're going to, you know, deliver some amazing um, programs to our market so that we can have the impact that we want. And I tell my team this, in five years, when we look back and say, man, Memphis is killing it, you know, what, what happened? I want people to point to the BBA as a catalyst for uh, that upward mobility that we want and we know Memphis can achieve. Um, so that's, that's professionally, you know, what, what I'm focused on. Um, for entrepreneurs who are interested in, you know, taking that leap, uh, the advice that I will provide is skate where the puck is headed, mm -hmm. you know, meaning that um, you got to understand how to see trends. And the best way is, to take an assessment of what you're doing on a daily basis, an assessment of what your friends are doing, um, where you're spending your time, where you're spending your dime, there are opportunities there for you to capitalize uh, on that spend as a business, solve a problem, create a company in a niche that you already have some skills developed. For sure. And so that's kind of the process that I 
do when I think about, you know, what I should be doing next. You know, that's kind of my little checklist I go to, mm -hmm. you know, skate where the puck is headed, yeah. um, take an assessment of where I'm spending my money and my friends are spending their money and the need that constantly comes up. You know, how can we figure out a solution to this problem that we're constantly hearing about and how can we create a solution that allows us to maximize skills that we already have? Yeah, man, that's that's dope. This, this has been a very profitable... Look, I say this all the time, man. These conversations are so profitable. They help me out yeah. probably uh, more than they're going to help the viewers <laughs> out, man, because I just love to hear perspective of people that have achieved uh, greatness. What I like to call it is peak performance, and I definitely put you in that category. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So listen, um, if you enjoyed this interview, do me a favor, hit subscribe, like, uh, and do me a favor, drop a fire comment, uh, a fire in the comment uh, to some of the things that Ernest talked about. Also, in the comments, if there is additional information as an entrepreneur that you want us to cover, there's other people that you want us to bring on, drop that in the comment and we'll do our best to try to address it. You guys know our goal at the Equity Tap is to help you raise your business IQ so that you can tap into your full equity. Ernest, man. Appreciate it, man. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you for coming on and doing this. Thanks for the invite. And I love to have you back out as Memphis Restart lunches to be able to share your perfect success that you Perfect. guys are having. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you.